Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. It is April 8th, and we uh, are past the halfway mark of the season. And joining me today on the podcast to talk everything that happened in college baseball uh, over the last week is uh, we've got Dave Serrano and Joe Healy. So welcome in, guys. Glad to be back. Glad to be back to talk another week of baseball, Teddy. Yeah, Teddy, looking forward to it. Yeah, so it was a, a pretty exciting weekend around the country. Obviously, it was highlighted by that number one versus number two matchup. We had UCLA taking on Stanford uh, out on the farm. And UCLA, in, in this one versus two matchup, which was the first one since, since 2016, just the 13th in the history of the Baseball America Top 25, UCLA loses the first game 3-2 to two to Stanford. It was an instant classic, just a, a great game uh, that UCLA tied it to in the ninth inning, had the go-ahead run at third base, could not get it home, and then Stanford comes back in the bottom half of that inning and walks it off uh, with Will Matheson providing the, the decisive blow. And then UCLA's offense the next two days really came alive and they, they come out and, and win the series, scoring 21 runs against a Stanford pitching staff that had been, uh, I believe, the best in the nation in terms of ERA going into that series. They'd allowed all of 60 runs all year, and UCLA tags them for 21 runs in two days to win the series. So the Bruins remain number one in this week's Baseball America Top 25. Stanford, Haynes tied at number two, and then Georgia moves up to number three, and the Bulldogs had a big week uh, going four and one, a couple midweek wins, including one against Clemson. And then on the weekend, they beat Vanderbilt at home there in Athens, and that was their first series win against Vanderbilt since 2008, and that is a year that Bulldog fans will remember fondly. So I, the, Georgia it has the makings of, of what could be a very special year now as they move into first place in the East, and they really have the inside track there, uh, having beaten Vanderbilt and then Florida, traditionally the other power in that division over the last several years, uh, got swept at Ole Miss and is just now four and eight in the SEC. So Georgia kind of in the lead in the in the SEC East and kind of a commanding lead at this point. So they're up to three and then four and five remain the same as last week when North Carolina State and Mississippi holding their own there uh, to round out the top five. We had four new teams enter the top 25 this week, led by Georgia Tech at number 18. And that's the first time the Jackets have been ranked this year. They're into first place in their division in the ACC. And then also returning to the top 25, we had three teams that have been in and out of the rankings already this year in TCU, Michigan, and Baylor uh, coming in. And they're all coming. Uh, they've all started conference play rather well. I would encourage you to check out the full top 25 at baseballamerica.com. Uh, those are the highlights of, of this week's poll movement. Uh, but you can you can get into the nitty gritty there at baseballamerica.com, and, and you can see 
you know, rundowns of what every team in the top 25 did over the last week. Joe does a great job providing those, so, so make sure to check them out. Now, we want to talk about this UCLA-Stanford series, and I, I just want, we might as well start with just some general takeaways. It was, it, for me, it really lived up to the hype, but what did you guys think of, of that series out there in Stanford? I agree. I think it lived up to the hype. Uh, it, it's too bad. I would have liked to have been there to see uh, how each game played out. I was probably like many people watching it online and all that as much as I could. But I think the big surprise was the, the amount of runs that were scored by UCLA. We could say that on one side of the coin, but on the other side, we know they're they're pretty offensive and, and both teams are offensive. And, and I think that was the big question going in, you know, what was going to be the determining factor in the series and what it ended up is that UCLA uh, exploded with some good offense. The Friday game looked like a, a marquee matchup that was a, a wonderful game that, that UCLA could have taken, but Stanford ended up holding on and, and winning it late. But I, I think it was it was everything that everyone expected it to be. Um, you know, uh, kudos to the Bruins going up to the farm and win, winning two out of three, and I think that gives them a big leg up. Now, they still got to take care of business within the conference, and they got big series still to come, but uh, they have the the tiebreaker against a team that's probably going to be vying for that, that top spot in the Pac-12. But um, a good good weekend series by both those teams and a great series for college baseball. Yeah, that's a good point, Dave, because now UCLA already has series wins against Oregon State and now Stanford, and those look to be two of their biggest, stronger, or their strongest competition there at the top of the league, Arizona State being the, the next challenger and the last one they have to play. And you know maybe Washington can hang around this race or get back into it after a tough weekend at Arizona, but it it really looks like it's going to be at most four teams, and UCLA already has series wins against both of them. So, you know uh, that that is that's a good point that you know they're they're sitting at nine and three, and they're tied with Arizona State and Oregon State, but they've already played two of their biggest challengers. Um, you know, just four weeks into conference play, uh, Joe, what, what what did you think of the the series? Yeah, I think it, uh, you know, we, we talked on the the last podcast about how it was going to kind of, one of the things to watch for, at least in, in my mind, was which offense really kind of has a breakout. And, and that team was was clearly UCLA with the way they swung the bats over the last couple of days. And it kind of goes to show that, that look, I mean, clearly uh, UCLA has has changed our minds on, you know, for a while we thought about like, you know, what what is the starting rotation going to look like and how much confidence should we have in that group? And, and they've clearly showed that there really wasn't a lot of reason to worry about that. But let's just hypothetically say that you, know, you get into a regional and like stuff happens in a regional. You know, you, you might throw Garcia or Petway out there in game one and they just don't have it. And all of a sudden you're in a hole. Um, I think what they showed is that like, that's okay. Like those guys don't have to be perfect. This doesn't have to be a pitching staff that goes out there and throws up zeros every single week. And Stanford had their moments. I mean, they scored five runs, albeit just two of them earned against Garcia. And they ran Jack Ralston out of the game relatively early and so they they did put some pressure on that UCLA pitching staff, but but the Bruins' offense just kind of kept coming and kept coming, and Stanford really just couldn't slow them down once they got going. So it's one of the reasons why, you know, UCLA is where they are in terms of, of in the pecking order of national title contenders and number one in the RPI and the marquee series wins they have is they can just you know they can beat you anyway in any type of game that you want to play. Uh, they're probably better at it than you are and are going to beat you that way. Yeah, I, that made the. I, I don't know that I see a hole on UCLA's team right now. Um, I, I think when you look at it, you, you know, we, we talked at length before about how good their pitching has been. 
It showed that uh, you know they can their offense, which we expected to really be a strength of this team, uh, they, they showed that this weekend too. And, and we know that UCLA teams, especially this one, field at a very high level. And you know, so for me right now, I'm looking at this, and it, it seems like they're the national title favorite. Um, I, I don't want to say they're the runaway national title favorite. I think there are a lot of teams that, that can go and win in Omaha. But at this point, for you guys, has UCLA established themselves as the national championship favorite? Well, I, I'm cautious on this, Teddy. I'm going to explain why. Yeah, I think if Omaha was being played next week, I think the Bruins would be the favorite right now. Um, but unfortunately for the Bruins, Omaha isn't being played <laughs> next week. And I'm not being sarcastic in saying that. And why I'm saying this is because of an experience I had. Uh, it was it's ironic because I you know you always send out the notes what we're going to talk about and today's April the eighth okay 2019 April the eighth in 2004 I was the assistant coach under George Horton at Cal State Fullerton that year the Titans sat 17 and 16 and we didn't know what direction we were going we ended up the season we ended up as the national champions at 47 and 22 so I think I guess what I'm trying to say in this is. I, I think the national champion will be more determined or who's the favorite of what happens later in May through conference tournaments and what team gets hot, what team stays healthy. And I think it's kind of hard right now on April the 8th to say, like I said, if it was being played next week, I'd be, I'd, all chips would be in on the Bruins. But there's a lot of baseball to be played. There's a lot of factors still out there. And, um, but if I had to choose right now, I'd say the Bruins are the most complete team. I've had been fortunate enough to see a lot of good teams. I've seen a lot of good teams, the Vandys, the Georgias, and they're all good teams. But I think right now, without even seeing them, but knowing what they're doing, the Bruins are the most complete team. And I'd say Stanford is maybe a very close second in regards to complete team. Yeah, I would I would say that they are for me at this point kind of my favorite if if, if I'm having to choose one. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about one of the reasons why, which is just they're a really complete team. But I mean, beyond that, I mean, they're just the one team this year in a year that's more wide open than any we've had in recent memory at, at the top of things. They're the one team that just doesn't have a slip up this year. Um, everybody else has had a weekend where they're a little flat or had a weekend where they, they lost some games. And UCLA just really hasn't had that. And on top of that, I mean, you look at the resume items. We talked about in conference, the series wins over over Stanford and Oregon State. But some of the other stuff they have on the resume is going to age like a fine wine. I mean, that series win against Georgia Tech, we'll talk about the Yellow Jackets later, but that's looking better and better. And, you know, I think we think that St. John's is going to have a really good go of it in the Big East. And that's a series win that's that's probably going to look better in May than it than it has in any other point in the season. Even the Dodger Town Classic. I mean, Michigan's back in the rankings. That's a quality loss. And then Oklahoma State has shown that their ceiling is probably higher than at least I was giving them credit for. So that's a weekend that looks a little more positive, too. So I think the combination of just the, the talent on the field and, and what they've shown there versus just, look, this team this team really hasn't had any, um, they, you know, they haven't slipped on any banana peels, to use the Mario Kart reference there. And, and they, you know, if you're making me bet, I bet they will. I'm sure they'll lose a series this year. Um, I mean, maybe not, but uh, you just, you I think you'll always bet on, sure, there'll be a weekend where they just don't come out clicking on all cylinders, but so far we haven't seen it. Yeah, I mean, I we'll we'll see where it goes from here. I mean, that, obviously, that that's a good point, Dave. That you know, we still have a lot of baseball to be played, and uh, you know, health matters a lot, and and, and someone who gets hot and, and all the rest of that. But right now, uh, you know, UCLA for me definitely looks like like you were saying that the most complete team in the country, and 
you know, we'll, we'll see where this goes from here. I, I did, before we move on, I, I just wanted to note that, you know, this series was the, the series in the country this weekend, potentially of the year. Uh, and it was not on television in any way, really, uh, which in 2019 is really, truly stunning uh, that the Pac-12 network couldn't pick this up even. And it was just on Stanford's live stream. And I, you know, we all consume baseball in different ways. And I know the three of us all, all consume it in different ways. So I, I just wanted to, to check with you guys. What, I mean, was that disappointing to you? Did you not mind watching it on the live stream? Uh, you know, just how, how did you interact with trying to watch this series? Well, I, I didn't watch, I didn't watch any of it by visually watching. I watched the, the line scores come across with the stat cast and all that. But it, it is it is shameful that it wasn't on TV. It's disappointing. And I think, again, being somebody that's been from the West Coast, I think that's part of the reason, Teddy, why the West Coast doesn't get the respect that it sometimes deserves. You know, last year's national championship or champion came from there. And how often do you ever see Oregon State on TV? And it's just it is it is very disappointing that there is good baseball out there and kudos to the, the big 12, the ACC that's getting their new network next year. And obviously the SEC, their games are on TV all the time. And that's why there's such a, there's such a brand name of, of those schools and all that, not only because they're good baseball teams and good baseball programs, but the people see them all the time. And it is disappointing to know that, that they couldn't make some, some scheduling changes and allow that series number one, number two, and any poll you want to look at for the most part and put that game on TV. So people around the country get to, to experience two good baseball programs. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of of two minds. So personally speaking, I was glad to have it on the live stream because if it had been on PAC 12 network, I wouldn't have gotten to see it unless I sought it out in a public place where they had PAC 12 network or what have you. Um, so selfishly I'm, I was all for that. Um, for the greater good of the sport and, and the West Coast and, and the Pac-12, like, yeah, I mean, it is disappointing that, that this, you know, these games weren't uh, more widely available. And, um, you know, the, 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 the struggles of, of the Pac-12 network and, and getting covered on these uh, cable systems and streaming services is well documented. I mean, you can read John Wilner's columns, um, you know, syndicated columnist out on the West Coast who's done a lot of, of, of reporting on, on the Pac-12 and, and the Pac-12 network and, and all that stuff. So all that stuff's well documented and it continues to be disappointing as a college baseball fan. You know, I, <laughs> the gym where I go, they, the TVs on the wall in the gym, they get Pac-12 network. So there's actually been times where if there's a really big Pac-12 network game <laughs> on, and maybe I would have done this this weekend, I will, I guess I was out of town, so I wouldn't have, but I will go to the gym and like just get on a treadmill or something and turn a TV onto a Pac-12 network game. Cause that's the way I can get the Pac-12 network. Um, so I would like to not have to do that to see the Pac-12 network, <laughs> but for this weekend alone, like I said, it was kind of, it was kind of nice because I, I didn't have to worry about trying to figure something else out to see the games. That is outstanding workout motivation. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat on that. Like I would, I watched when I was watching this, mostly I was in a, a press box. And, uh, so that, that wouldn't have been a thing that I could do if it had been on the network, but uh, you know, my, my own personal, you know, struggles with that, given where I was aside, you know, that it, it is, it, it's disappointing. And, and it is a reminder that we see college baseball on TV all the time. Uh, but it, it still has a ways to go, you know, in, in the idea that this wasn't over the air anywhere is, um, 
it, it is is disappointing in 2019. But I digress. Um, I don't want to take up too much time banning on Larry Scott and his network uh, out there. I mentioned that I was in a press box. Uh, I was uh, at Florida Ole Miss, and that that series was uh, was was a bit surprising, just in the way that it turned out, and in terms of uh, Ole Miss very emphatically sweeping Florida. That's the second time Florida has been emphatically swept on the road. Just they gave up a ton of runs at Vanderbilt, and they did it again to Ole Miss. And in some cases, that that's a indication of just where Florida's pitching staff is right now. But in others. Uh, it, it's a you know very positive sign for both Ole Miss and Vanderbilt's offense that, that they're capable of putting that together. And it was the kind of offensive performance that you know we've been waiting to see. Well, not I don't want to say waiting to see, but that that we know Ole Miss can do. And uh, you know to some extent it's been a little mixed. Um, but over the last four SEC games, they've now scored 50 runs. Uh, against Arkansas and Florida. So that's that's a pretty impressive figure. And as this offense gets clicking the way it is right now, it, it's very deep. Anthony Servito's hitting ninth, uh, and he's he's excellent as a, as a nine hole hitter. Cooper Johnson's hitting seventh, and uh, you know he brings some 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 uh, pretty good power. Uh, and obviously he's such a good defender. But one through six, uh, Ole Miss is, stacks up really well against anyone, and, and that really showed this weekend. And they're, they're still a little short, uh, short on the, the pitching side, I feel like, right now. Will Etheridge um, you know, dealt with a blister on Friday night. That's the second time this season. I, you know, it shouldn't keep him out for any significant length of time, but that meant that Ole Miss had to get into the bullpen a little earlier, and that affected them when they then played a doubleheader on Saturday. And Parker Caracy really bailed them out. He threw their closer, their All-American closer, through 3.1 innings. Uh, or maybe it's 3.2. He he came in very early. He had to had to go more than three innings to to finish that game off on Saturday. And um, you know he's capable of doing that sometimes. But they they really are struggling right now still to to find some more consistent pieces beyond their their big three in the bullpen. And they're still looking, I think, for a Sunday starter. Gunnar Hoagland did not start uh, the third game of that series, they give Houston Roth a shot and it had mixed results. So they're still figuring some things out on the pitching staff, but just, they hit so much that I don't know how much it's going to matter in the long run in most series. So I, that, that's an interesting team to watch. They've now won back-to-back series against Arkansas and Florida, and they are tied for the SEC West lead along with, uh, Arkansas and LSU. So again, it's going to be a fight to the end in that division, but, Ole Miss making its case the last couple of weeks that, you know, they can hang with the likes of LSU and Mississippi State and Arkansas. So that'll be exciting to watch as as they continue to to progress. And, and I do think that some of their pitching woes are going to get worked out uh, as the season continues. Now, I also mentioned at the top that Georgia came up with a big series win against Vanderbilt. Their pitching staff really led the way in that one, uh, totally shut down. Uh, a Vanderbilt offense on Sunday to win the series uh, through a combined one hitter, Tony Losey, through seven innings of it. And, you know, Georgia looks like it might have one of the best pitching staffs in the country. Um, you can maybe throw Oregon State up against it, but it, it might be the best pitching staff in the country right now. Uh, and, and like I said, now they're that they're winning the SEC East and, and they're in a commanding position. Uh, and, and they're up to number three in the country. So, Dave, what uh, what did the Bulldogs do this weekend that that worked? Well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Teddy. They, they they do pitch, and I'm going to talk about some things that I think they do really good. I mean, 
they pitch fabulously. They play tremendous defense. They have situ- they do situational offense, and they have clutch hitting, and that's what's allowing them to win. It isn't their gaudy offense and numbers that that that's doing it for them. It's it's their pitching and their defense. Uh, they're pitching at a two eight five ERA, which is fabulous. But some numbers I looked up that that just blew me away. Two hundred ninety three innings they've pitched this year. They've only been given up one hundred ninety two hits. Opponents against their pitching staff is hitting a buck 86, which is amazing. Um, and that's with, with guys like Ryan Webb and Will Proctor out for the last couple, three weeks. And they, when they get them healthy, it's going to make them even deeper. And it's kind of like what I said earlier in the year when Garcia went out with UCLA, as tough as it is on Coach Strickland and their coaching staff, that they're, they're probably becoming a deeper pitching staff with those two guys out and allowing other guys to get some innings. But what I don't want to do, I don't want I their pitching is fabulous, but guys, it starts with defense. Okay. And you can't have a good pitching staff unless you play good defense. They're fielding 980 as a team. If I recall, I think they've made only 24 errors in 33 games. That means nine games somewhere along the way. They didn't even make an error. A couple things I looked up that I thought was fabulous. The middle of the diamond, Cam Shepard, uh, LJ Talley at, at short and second, respectively, and Tucker Maxwell in center field. After 33 games, they've made a combined three errors. Three errors. That's out of your shortstop, second baseman, and center fielder. That's winning baseball. When you're getting the pitching they're getting with the numbers they're putting up, that is absolutely winning pitching or winning baseball. And and kudos like to a guy like Cam Shepard, who I personally know because we recruited him when I was at Tennessee, and he's a fabulous young man. He's turned out to play a fabulous defensive shortstop is he's only hitting 214. And in today's day and age, that's how sometimes people are judged is how you're doing offensively. But the young man is playing outstanding shortstop and is helping Georgia be one of the better teams in the SEC, along with the fact being one of the better teams in the country. If they continue to do this, they're going to be tough to beat. Um, They're going to have to continue to get the situational and the clutch hitting, but the pitching and defense is going to allow them to be in every game. And they're showing they could win the close games. And that was a big series win for the, the Bulldogs, something they, they needed, and they, now they got to keep the momentum going as they continue on in SEC play. Yeah, and it, I, I, I'll i be very interested to see how this continues because they are they are really hitting their stride now, and you know, they're they're looking like one of the better teams in the country out there. So we'll we'll see how this goes in the second half. But you know, when, when you're looking at SEC favorites, when we're talking about national title contenders, I mean, you got to throw Georgia right at the top of the, those lists. So it, it it's an exciting time in Athens a, a, and a place that this program hasn't been uh, really in about a decade now. So exciting second half to come for the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, now, we also had um, a pretty wild series down in Auburn where Arkansas comes out with a series win. Uh, it did not find an easy way to get there, took, uh, took some extra innings uh, and, and you know some resiliency from the hogs but uh joe what what did what did arkansas do this weekend that uh you know kind of stood out to you in their series win at auburn you know i think they just won a heavyweight fight i mean that's kind of how what i would describe this series as kind of just an ugly heavyweight fight series and i don't mean ugly as a as a commentary on quality i mean obviously there's two very good teams and um, but more just so just because I, I think the weaknesses of both these teams were right on front street out there the, the concerns we have about them, uh, kind of, they both got bit by them and Arkansas just kind of persevered and, and fought through it. And I think their, their offensive depth is, uh, is what really kind of shines through. I mean, 
they got, you know, big hits in, for example, by Trevor Ezell, a guy, you know, a grad transfer from, from SEMO, and he had a good non-conference slate, but has struggled a little bit more in SEC play, um, you know, and he comes through with, with a big hit. So, um, you know, they've just kind of cut that offensive depth that allows them to win a series against a team like Auburn that, that's really kind of struggling on the mound. Um, you know, they really need Jack Owen and, and or Davis Daniel to get healthy for them because I think it's a team that that really kind of needs that rotation to, to lead the way for them. Um, and, and they really just, you know, they, they got a good start from Tanner Burns in the opener, a solid start from him. Uh, they end up winning that game. And that, that was where Arkansas's bullpen kind of uh, faltered. And that's one of the concerns Arkansas has, especially with a guy like Jacob Kostyshock not available. Uh, they just weren't able to close out that game. Auburn wins uh, the opener. But in the last two games, it was, it was the Auburn pitching staff. And they got stretched out to 15 innings. And that meant they had to you know use Elliott Anderson and Cody Greenhill to the point where they weren't going to be available on Sunday. So then on Sunday, when Auburn got a short start again, um, they really just weren't able to bring the arms to the mound. They needed to get uh, enough outs against the Arkansas lineup. So um, it, the, th- the thing about Auburn, too, is their offense feels a little bit light. Um, you know, they're hitting two, something like 266 as a team overall. Um, so that's kind of why I say that I feel like this needs to be a pitching-led team, and I think that's kind of what we thought would, would be the case, you know, a rotation with, with uh, Tanner Burns and Davis Daniel, and then Jack Owen emerged, and it's kind of easy to start playing the what-if game. And, you know, what if Jack Owen had continued to pitch like he had and, and Davis Daniel was healthy? I mean, th- this could be a rotation that we consider possibly the best in the SEC if, if that had all gone, um, had gone according to plan. So, um, you know, I think Arkansas, I think at this point, is, is has shown that they're a little more of a complete team. I, I mentioned the, the offensive depth, and that's without a guy like Casey Martin, who was probably the surest of sure things in their lineup. Although you could make the argument for Kirstad or Fletcher, I suppose. But, you know, Casey Martin's hitting 250, and the power's been there, six home runs, 12 doubles. But, um, you know, he just hasn't been quite the same player this year, and yet they've really kind of shrugged that off. And, you know, guys like Matt Goodhart have stepped up, and, and Ezell's been a nice player, and Christian Franklin's hitting about 300. Um, you know, Jack Kinley, almost 300 with six home runs. So they've gotten a lot of contributions from a lot of different guys. And, you know, I think Isaiah Campbell stepping up has been, been huge for them. He just looks like a more consistent, more complete pitcher. Um, so if they can shore up things like, you know, the back of the rotation, Patrick Wicklander looked pretty good, um, in, in the Sunday game, I think it was five shutout innings for him. So if, you know, if, if they can shore up the back of that rotation, um, you know, find a couple of other bullpen arms they trust, uh, you know, behind Matt Cronin, of course. Um, you know, I think this team's in a really, really good place and, and Auburn, um, it, it really kind of feels like it's just mostly about health for them. And, and they've got, you know, they've got kind of a backloaded schedule. I mean, they've still got, they've got a series on the road against A&M this weekend, but they've still got Ole Miss in front of them. They still got Vanderbilt in front of them and Georgia and LSU. Um, they do have Auburn or I'm sorry, Alabama at home kind of in the middle of that schedule. So that's maybe an opportunity for them to, for them to get right. Although I say that in Alabama, just, uh, you know, uh, took care of South Carolina. So Alabama playing a little bit better, but, um, I say all that to say, these are both, both good teams. I have more questions about Auburn. Um, it'll kind of be interesting to see where Auburn goes from here. I mean, the RPI still suggests that, that they're a team we should, you know, uh, look at as a potential host. Um, but for them, it's just going to be uh, more about, are you able to put up enough sec wins to put you in that position when the season's all said and done? Yeah, that's going to be hard for Auburn, I feel like, the way they're playing right now. I mean, if they get healthy, things will change. But, uh, you know, just in terms of where they're going to be at in the pecking order in the SEC at the end of this, it, it doesn't feel like they're going to be in the position to host. But it also feels like they're going to be close, again, as they were last year. We'll just have to have to let that play out a little more. And, again, I say this all the time. The SEC West is 
is a cage fight and it's going to be all season long and until it all the dust all settles it's it's going to be kind of hard to project where some of these teams fall in, in the hosting lineup uh, but that is going to be the fun of the next couple months now we had as i mentioned four new teams coming in and we we started start that with with georgia tech at number 18 mentioned they are winning their division in the ACC now having beaten North Carolina uh, kind of establishing themselves now as the team to beat in that division because those are those look to be the best two teams in that division um, you know as of right now Joe you've been on the Yellow Jackets from the start and now they are living up to it what what are you seeing as the ceiling for Georgia Tech and I I have on the dock, can it host? But really, it can. Will do you think the Jackets will host? Oh boy, it's tough because I, I do I think know they're going to early. Yeah, it, well, it's tough too because I, I think they they feel like a team that's going to be on that line, kind of similar to Auburn, I guess. But I think they're going to come about it a little bit of a different way because I so I looked at what they've got ahead of them, and there's two things you really need. There's more than that, obviously, but but two big things you really need in a major conference, particularly a team in the South where you're not going to get a little bit of a bump from, well, they're a northern team or they're a team out west where the RPI maybe doesn't quite encapsulate everything there is to, to know about a team. But if you're, if you're an ACC or SEC team in the south, you're just not – you've got to stay pretty tight to the, the the top tier in order to host. So two things really need to happen. One is the RPI has got to be in certainly in the top 20, probably hugging pretty close to just that top 16. And then you've got to win enough games in the ACC. Um, you know, we've seen hosts in the SEC, I think, at 15 and 15 in league play, um, maybe even a 14 and 16, or am I making that up? I can't remember. But, I don't think 14 and 16. Okay, but 15 and 15 for sure has happened. Um, but to feel more comfortable about it, you've got to kind of be more in the at least 17, 18, 19 win range, um, especially in an ACC where there are some teams that are struggling and the ACC is just not as, as good this year as it has been in, in years past. So you look ahead at that, and, and Georgia Tech's currently 14 in the RPI, but here are their upcoming um, ACC series. Boston College, Virginia Tech, Clemson, Duke, Pitt. Um, that is one out of five series against a team that I feel very confident is a postseason team, and that's obviously Clemson, and that one is at home. Otherwise, you've got, you know, a Virginia Tech team that could be in that mix by the end of the season. But, you know, BC, Duke and Pitt at this point look like um, they're uh, long shots to be in the postseason, to put it that way. So I think the wins thing is going to happen. Georgia Tech's already nine and six in the ACC. Um, in those five series, it's it's you know, you could really see a, a 10 and five result there uh, kind of in a, almost a worst case scenario for Georgia Tech um, to get to 19 and 11. Um, and as long as the RPI is pretty good, if you're winning 10 of those 15 SEC games or excuse me, ACC games, and you're picking off maybe one more of those games against Georgia, uh, maybe the other midweek against Auburn. Um, yeah, I think they're going to be in pretty good shape. So from a resume standpoint, I think the path is, I don't want to say it's easy. It's never easy, but the path is certainly wide open for Georgia tech to get there in terms of that from a personnel standpoint. Um, what they do well is I think I like their starting pitching. So Connor Thomas, really, really solid. Brant Herter, a lefty with good stuff has been a revelation this year. He's always been a guy who's been stuff over command, but this year he's only walked eight and 37 and two thirds innings pitch. That's the least of all their starters, but Xavion Curry's a known, known, uh, entity. And then Amos Willingham, who's, you know, thrown in some midweeks, they actually moved him into the rotation, 
this last week in North Carolina did not go uh, altogether well, uh, but that gave an opportunity for Xavier Curry to come out of the bullpen, and Curry was outstanding in that role, um, closing the game, uh, the finale down. So that's kind of an interesting thing they they changed there, and maybe this was a one time deal. Maybe this is something where maybe Curry's a better fit back in the bullpen um, because. The thing about it is, is the bullpen is kind of a question mark again, and this has been an issue with Georgia Tech in the past. Um, it looked like it was is getting better this year, and it is better this year. I don't want to suggest that it's not, but you know, Jonathan Hughes has been really, really good for them. But he's the only guy in the bullpen they have with an ERA below four. You know, Tristan English has been has been pretty decent, but uh, you know, Luke Bartnicki's a guy I think uh, you know they want to lean on pretty heavily. But his ERA is up above six, and Keaton Gibson's got a pretty decent number of appearances. His ERA is up over seven. Robert Winborn has only appeared a couple times, and he's a guy who's been pretty effective for them in the past. Um, so, you know that 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 is that is where there are concerns, and it's already kind of reared its 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 head. I mean, Georgia Tech's a team that, as good as they are, they've had some games slip away. I mean, notably the the series finale against Louisville, where the Cardinals were down to their final strike like four different times in the final inning, but came back to win that game. And, and there have been others along the way where Georgia Tech has really kind of struggled to close games down. So, I mean, this could be a team that's in the top 10 by this point, had they closed out some of the games uh, they haven't uh, been able to close out so far. So, um, you know, I like the offense. There's not a ton of depth. They pretty much have nine or 10 guys, and those are their nine or 10 guys that play just about every game. Um, but but they've been productive. I mean, Michael Goldberg um, has been great. Kyle McCann is, you know, on the at least on the periphery of the National Player of the Year discussion, and Tristan English has been solid, and, you know, Luke Waddell and, and uh, the Wilhite brothers and Colin Hall have all been really, really solid. So um, like the offense, I like the pieces in the starting rotation if they can kind of figure out the roles, um, but it's just going to be a matter of closing out games and if they scuffle a little bit down the stretch in the ACC in some of these series that they should win, I would assume that's probably why. So if you're going to ask me if you know to, to predict now, I think they host. Like I think they're going to win enough games in the ACC to get that done, especially in a down ACC where, um, you know, I know the the committee doesn't think of it this way, but it's hard to imagine. Uh, you know, the ACC being uh, just, uh, you know, only having one or two hosts. Um, so I think Georgia Tech's going to kind of benefit from that. And I think the ACC wins are going to be there. Um, but they've, they've still obviously got some work to do and they need to prove they're more consistent than they've been in years past. Yeah, that's going to be fascinating to watch. And, you know, with them on the up and Georgia where they are, the Peach State really rolling right now uh, with, with their two big guns having very much up seasons uh, at, at the same time. After some admittedly very down seasons the last few years tech having missed the tournament the last two and uh, georgia of course went through its own struggles a few years before that so it, it's an it's an interesting time uh as we look at baseball in georgia uh but when we head a little bit further west the big 12 as always uh not able to entertain this weekend uh we had west virginia upsetting oklahoma state we had Baylor and Texas splitting a series and game three getting rained out after, I don't know, a four hour rain delay, something like that. And, uh, you know, some other in intriguing results around the conference, uh, leave it as, I guess, as jumbled as ever. But Dave, uh, this week we, we see TCU and Baylor come back into the rankings. How, how do you see the league shaking out uh, in the second half of the year? Well, I'm not going to compare this to the West and the SEC where it's, it's, and I mean, all due respect, it's kind of a mess right now and in, in, in a good way. I mean, it's, it's, it's open for anybody. Uh, there's seven teams. There's seven teams that are within two and a half games of first place. And as I broke it down, I started looking at this and 
a big part, and I think Joe just hit on this about Georgia Tech, a big part of as we go into the second half of the season is what is what are people's schedules and who are they playing and where are they playing them? I and that plays a big factor as we go down the stretch. And as I was looking at all these seven teams that, in my opinion, and no disrespect to Kansas and Kansas State by any means, but right now they've established themselves as they're the lower part of this, of this conference. But the three teams that pop up for me that each play Kansas State and Kansas um, remaining are TCU, Texas, and, and West Virginia. Okay. That's a big fact. That could play a big factor. Whereas Texas Tech has already played both of them, so they don't they don't play them again. So and Texas Tech got beat by Kansas yesterday. So I think Kansas and Kansas State are going to play a big factor, whether they help teams get to the top or they take some teams away, like they probably affected Texas Tech yesterday. For me, and again, I've wore the uniform for a year, and there, I have no favorites, but. For me, West Virginia, even though they're down a little bit with at a four and five record, they still have, you know, Kansas and Kansas State on their slate, but they get to play Texas Tech and TCU in their own backyard, which is huge. Okay. The only team that they go that's in the top is Texas. So I think in my opinion, and it's all jumbled right now, in my opinion, I think the Texas, TCU, West Virginia with what their schedule is remaining part of the way, that's going to play a big factor in, in a conference that's going to go all the way down to the wire, and it'll probably come down to the last weekend, which West Virginia had to buy the last weekend, so they might not even be playing a conference game, and it could be determined who wins the championship in the, in the Big 12. Yeah, that's uh, that one, it, it never fails to disappoint, I feel like, uh, especially in recent years. It, it comes down to the wire, and Looks like we're going to get that again this year. So that's uh, yeah, definitely definitely keep an eye on the Big 12 race as as we get going uh, here in the in the second half. And then up in the Big Ten, uh, mentioned Michigan came back into the rankings, coming off of a series win against Minnesota. Michigan now up to four and one in the Big Ten, having uh, won their series last weekend against Michigan State, and now this against Minnesota. They lost on Friday night. And for all the world, I thought uh, Minnesota was going to, you know, pull off a series upset here on the road. And, uh, you know, they would have been off and running in the Big Ten and kind of, you know, looking like despite the fact that they dug themselves in that big hole, that maybe they were the best team in the Big Ten ultimately. Uh, But Michigan comes back, uh, uh, wins five to three on Saturday and then really came out strong on Sunday with an eight nothing win uh, to secure the series win and. And, you know, they are looking like the best team in the Big Ten right now, I think. I know I've said that about uh, Minnesota as recently as Friday night, as uh, one Nebraska fan uh, pointed out to me on Twitter. And Nebraska is is hanging around the race as well. But I just think the way that the schedule sets up for Michigan, it sets up very well. And they are playing very well. And this is a talented team that there's a reason why they were the preseason favorites and they're living up to it right now. I know they've scuffled a little bit against some of the top competition. They missed an opportunity out in L.A. to to go two and one in the Dodger Stadium tournament uh, with a win against UCLA on Friday night. And then they couldn't get done against USC and Oklahoma State. And then they really struggled in Lubbock a couple weekends ago uh, with Texas Tech. Really no shame in that. But. Uh, you know, so they missed some opportunities, and I think that's going to limit their ceiling when you start looking at some postseason opportunities. They're they're just 63 in the RPI, and they're playing nothing. They, their Big Ten bye week has already happened, so 
you know, they're, they're only going to have so many opportunities to really uh, improve that number. And so if you're, if you're looking at hosts, I, I don't think Michigan is going to be able to pull that off this year. Uh, but I do think that they're a dangerous team overall. Uh, you know, Tommy Henry got beat on Friday night, but he's been so good uh, this season at the front of that rotation. And they have a lot of offensive depth, just a lot of different players that can beat you on any given day. Uh, you know, from Dom Clemente to K.O. Thomas and, uh, you know, uh, Jordan Ngoku, I just up and down the lineup, there, there's talent. And I think Michigan, you know, they've got a big week this week with Indiana State coming in. Uh, you know, Indiana State has been really good this year, but just lost a series at Michigan State. Um, you know, so we'll see what that looks like in a midweek series. And then Michigan goes to Ohio State. The Buckeyes are struggling a bit, but I am just very happy to see that rivalry series back on the schedule. We missed it last year, and college baseball is better for having it. Um, you know, even if it's not what it is in football, uh, you know, those two teams need to be playing each other, and I, it, that'll be a fun weekend in Columbus. I know the Buckeyes will be up for it, and uh, you know, I'm sure Michigan will will rise to the challenge, but. It's a big five-game week coming up for the Wolverines, so we will see uh, where, where they go from here. But right now, again, for me, uh, I think Michigan is is the Big Ten favorite, and you know I, I think that 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 series that they end the season against Indiana and at Nebraska, and those are those are kind of their next two big big tests. Until then, they can they should be able to to pile up some wins and improve that RPI, but. Uh, you know, I don't know that they can get it to a number where they could uh, really get into the hosting race in any sort of serious way uh, before then. But we we will see. Uh, the RPI is ever mysterious, of course. Yeah. So I think that brings us to the uh, to the shoutouts portion of our podcast, where we uh, we try to bring to light uh, you know some some players, some programs that we haven't touched on, but that the uh, that that did remarkable things this weekend, th- things that are worthy of us taking notes. So Dave, uh, why, don't, why don't we start with you? Who uh, who stood out to you this weekend? Well, I, I think it was a tone setter for the, the series in Stillwater uh, for West Virginia and it, it, Alec Manoa. Uh, and I know I've called, I've called him out before, but went eight innings in the Friday performance, given up against a good Oklahoma State offensive team and a very tough ballpark to pitch in. It's a lot of offense usually. Gives up two hits, has 11 strikeouts and zero walks, and is just shooting up the shooting up the draft board in my mind. He's putting up good numbers in front of good people, and more importantly, he set the tone for West Virginia in, in a big weekend series that they needed badly at Oklahoma State. Uh, my other shout out kind of goes out to someone that you know I said it earlier, but something people don't talk about a lot. People talk about pitching performances and offensive numbers. But I'm going to I'm going to shout out the the Georgia Bulldogs defense of what they've done all year long. 980 fielding percentage, as I said earlier. Um, they're middle of the field with with Shepard and Tally and and Maxwell. Only three errors among or combined for them all season, which is allowing them to win. And I don't I, I don't know how if you guys got to see it, but in the ninth inning of the of the Sunday game against Vanderbilt, Cheney Rogers makes it. A, an ESPN top 10 highlight film diving play down the first baseline that took at least a double away from JJ Bladey and was able to get the second out of the, of the ninth inning, which is always tough to close out, especially when you're facing the Vanderbilt team and you haven't won a series for them in many years. So shout out to the Georgia defense for allowing them to, 
to be what they are right now and so far in the 2019 season. And then um, team-wise, I, I want to go out west, and um, uh, Jason Gill and Loyola Marymount Lions, they took two or three at, at San Francisco this weekend. That's not really what's, what's the most important. They're leading the WCC right now, and Jason continues to do a lot with a, with little at Loyola Marymount. That's no disrespect to Loyola, but if anyone knew what they don't have and how much kind of consistent success that he's had, they're always kind of near the top of the WCC. They have a tough part of their schedule still coming, but after four weeks, they're leading the WCC. So I want to give out a shout-out to Loyola Marymount Lions, Jason Gill, Nathan Choate, and Bobby Andrews and their coaching staff. You know, we've, we've talked about the uh, how tough or how tight the SEC West and, and the Big 12 races are. If you, if you want a tight mid-major race to watch, the WCC is absolutely that. I mean, they're, they're, I think the top seven teams are separated by like three games out there. Uh, and that one's going to be a real fight to the finish. And if only four teams make it to the WCC tournament. So it's the, the regular season has a lot of importance out there. Uh, so that that's a fun one to watch. Um, Joe wrote about BYU last week, and then BYU went and lost to San Diego. But uh, BYU, uh, Loyola Marymount, Pepperdine, San Diego, um, St. Mary's—they're—they're they're all Gonzaga. They're all very much in the mix out there. And um, you know, the shout out to the Lions, yeah, for for winning, being in first place in that league right now. That—that's not an easy thing to do, really, at any point in the season uh, in the WCC. Uh, Joe, uh, what what do you got for us? Um, as usual, I, I'm going to work my hardest to get us like, uh, just super off track with my shout outs that are just becoming increasingly <laughs> just a time for me to talk about other things. Um, so first off a shout out to, uh, the viral hit of the last few days, the, uh, old town road remix by Lil Nas X and, uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. Um, I hope you guys like that song because that's going to be something we're going to hear in every ballpark we go to the rest of the season. Uh, that thing really like blew up on like Thursday, Friday last week. And by Friday night, I, w- I was at the University of Illinois for their series against Maryland this past weekend. And um, they it was they turned it around and got it in there uh, for the in time for the Friday game. Um, and the audience, uh, the, the, the crowd applauded. Um, they were that excited to hear that song at the ballpark. Um, it wasn't like a standing ovation, but there was like a solid smattering of applause. So, uh, prepare yourselves. I think that song slaps as the kids are saying. Um, so, but just prepare yourselves to hear, uh, to hear that song, uh, right along with that one by uh, five seconds of summer. What's that young blood? Um, I hear that one at every ballpark in the country that I've been to this season as well. Um, the other thing I want, before I before I speak about a specific team, uh, shout out to the Clemson home run celebration, uh, which has kind of gone around Twitter a little bit, where they bring a little, uh, you know, mini basketball uh, hoop out, uh, kind of just to, to greet the guy who hits a home run and the guy who hit a home run dunks on it. Uh, I think that's great. It's kind of like a baseball version of a turnover chain. Those have kind of gone, you know, off the rails in football. I feel like maybe it's gone a little in football a little too far and you reel it back in a little bit. But in baseball, it's still kind of fresh and, and a new idea. Um, it, it's allowing college baseball to move on from the, uh, forearm bump and the helmet tap as the uh, celebration du jour. So, uh, kind of enjoyed seeing that, uh, actually on the field stuff, uh, shouts to Western Illinois. They swept Oral Roberts over the weekend. There's kind of a couple of interesting things here. I saw on Omaha's, um, official Twitter account, um, that it was the first time that Oral Roberts had been swept in Summit League play. And that is at, at the same time. Absolutely unbelievable. I don't know how that's possible. Like everyone has a just an awful weekend where nothing goes right. 
But on the other hand, it is entirely believable because of how much Oral Roberts has just dominated their time in the Summit League, obviously formerly known as the Mid-Continent Conference. Um, so, Who doesn't uh, know that? Uh, that's right. That's right. It's just common knowledge. Everyone knows that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but no, I mean, they really have dominated that league. They had a brief two-year period when they were in the Southland, but came back and just picked right up where they left off. Um, so that was kind of an unbelievable little stat uh, nugget there on, I saw on Twitter. Um, but it's interesting, too, because it kind of creates a situation where I think the streak of, of winning regular season titles in the Summit League uh, or getting at least a share of the regular season title in the Summit League might uh, be coming to an end here for Oral Roberts because Omaha, speaking of which, is – I'm sorry, I misspoke earlier. It was not on the Omaha baseball Twitter account. It was on Western Illinois' baseball Twitter account. I apologize for that uh, there but because they were the ones who swept Oral Roberts. But what I was thinking of is that Omaha is now 12-0 and in the conference in the Summit League just off to an incredible start in league play, and Oral Roberts is sitting at 6-6. Six and six. So you typically think of the conference as going through Oral Roberts, and any team that wants to challenge to win that conference is going to have to probably eventually win a series with Oral Roberts. And Omaha, first of all, I mean, they've shown that they could do that. But beyond that, they won't even really have to. So even if Oral Roberts goes on a tear, as long as Omaha continues to pile up these wins, um, it it kind of looks like they're in a pretty comfortable pole position to win that league. I mean, they're five games up on second place South Dakota State. So um, interesting times in the Summit League, just uh, given that it's something that we've not seen before, which is, you know, Oral Roberts has lost early season series in that in that conference before, but typically they get it going pretty quick after. This is about as late in the season as I can remember. I'm sure there's been a time, but this is about as late as in the season as I can remember that Oral Roberts has looked a little bit, uh, a little bit shaky, and, and Omaha has been able to, uh, Western Illinois last weekend, and Omaha overall has been able to take advantage. I, uh, I wonder what kind of parlay you could have gotten uh, for Kansas losing its Big 12 streak uh, in basketball of winning the, the conference regular season title and Oral Roberts potentially ending its Summit League streak uh, of winning the regular season conference title. I, I don't know if, if Vegas is prepared to, to handle that kind of action, but I'm sure that would have been a pretty good one if you'd, uh, if you'd been able to check that one in in September or October. We should start taking bets on baseballamerica.com. We should open a college baseball sports book. That, that should be. Tell, tell J.J. Cooper that was my idea. That would be illegal, Joe. That would be illegal. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll offshore it somehow, Dave. Um, <laughs> for, uh, I, I wanted to, uh, to note what Penn and Dartmouth did on Saturday in that they played a 21-inning game, which was the longest game in Ivy League history that ended 21-15. to 15. That is correct. It was 21 to 15 in 21 innings. Penn comes out with the win. It was absolutely epic. I tried to run it down uh, over at baseballamerica.com. You can check this out more in depth, but uh, they set several records. Uh, Craig Larson, freshman outfielder for Penn, hit for the cycle. Uh, he completed the cycle with a bunt single in the 13th inning. Uh, he also hit a grand slam. On the weekend, he went eight for 19. He homered twice. Uh, just a, a pretty impressive uh, weekend for for the freshman. But you know, just that game on Saturday with uh, with with Penn pulling out a 21 to 15 win in 21 innings. Uh, that I, I have a feeling that is going to be the craziest game of the year, uh, potentially at all levels of baseball around the country. So uh, just a a wild wild game there uh, at Dartmouth. Uh, and then also staying in the Ivy League that same day, Harvard erased an eight to one deficit in the ninth inning 
to beat Yale, uh, obviously a huge rivalry game, and Pat McColl ends it with a, a walk-off grand slam. And just a, a, another just truly nutso game, Yale somehow conspires to, to blow a seven-run lead in the ninth inning. Harvard goes on to sweep the series. Uh, probably not surprisingly, I don't really know how you get back. That was game one of a doubleheader. I don't know how you get back up to play game two, uh, let alone finish the series, uh, you know, if if that happens to you. But that was not even the only walk-off Grand Slam of Saturday. Kyle Johnson at UCSB also hit one against Stephen F. Austin, and they won 12-9 to in the 11th inning. Just a ridiculous day of baseball on Saturday from one end of the country to the other. And then uh, also want to shout out Jake Mangum for becoming Mississippi State's all-time career hits leader. He is now 10 hits shy of the SEC record held by Eddie Furness, and it is quite possible that Mangum will break that sometime in the next two weeks. Uh, He certainly has his sights set on it later this year, sooner than later probably, uh, the way Mangum's been hitting. He's up to 416 this year, just a sensational senior year uh, for one of college baseball's best. And then also I want to shout out um, Mike Clement, Ole Miss's hitting coach, who battled through a doubleheader on uh, on Saturday after he had to get stitches on Friday night trying to feel the screamer uh, down the line from uh, off the bat of, of Greg Kessinger. Uh, so he battles through a doubleheader uh, with some stitch in his, stitches in his hand. So Mike Clement, ultimate gamer uh, to, to be able to tough that one out uh, both on Friday night and, and, and then a, with the doubleheader on Saturday uh, with standing over there, the, the coaching box, waving all those Ole Miss runners home with, uh, with stitches in his right hand. So, uh, you know, a consummate performance from, from one of the, the best hitting coaches in the country. Dave, did you ever have to get stitches for anything that, that happened while you were coaching? No, I was fortunate I didn't have to, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to catch a line drive that fit off the bat either. Um, he's, he's obviously a lot tougher than I, but no, I never had stitches for anything on the field. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. I mean, because we also have Brian Green out at New Mexico State. I don't know if he's still in his cast, but he, um, you know, he was doing a base running drill, I want to say, and, and kind of significantly hurt himself, and he's been banged up. So, uh, you know, coaches remember that, uh, it's a dangerous game out there. You got you to gotta be careful. So I believe that brings us uh, to, to the end of, of what a, was a great week of college baseball. And looking ahead just briefly here to, to this, this weekend, uh, especially on the West Coast this weekend, it, it looks like another absolutely fantastic weekend. Uh, we have East Carolina going to UCLA in um, a top 10 interconference matchup. That's a fun, very random. Uh, and then... Oregon State in what is just going to be a truly fascinating battle of contrasting styles. You have Oregon State, potentially the best pitching staff in the country. Arizona State, potentially the best offense in the country. How that plays out is going to be very, very interesting and, of course, have uh, real significance in the Pac-12 title race and the hosting race and, and all the rest of that. And then it's also the series of the year in the Big West. Potentially the Big West will be decided this weekend uh, with Irvine going to UC Santa Barbara. Those are the only two teams in the conference that have a winning overall record. They're clearly the best teams in the conference. They're both in the top 20. Um, And this has some significant hosting implications as well. UCSB already has a top 10 RPI. Irvine has some work to do in terms of getting their RPI into a hosting 
uh, spot, but winning the Big West is going to be critical, I think, to either one of these teams hosting. Um, and you know, so th this weekend, a really, really big weekend, um, especially out on the West Coast. We've got some fun series out out east as well. Uh, Arkansas goes to Vanderbilt, uh, among other highlights. But uh, the West Coast is is uh, kind of where it's at this weekend. Just uh, whether you're looking at Pac-12, Big West, WCC, they're they're all they all are providing some pretty exciting series uh, this weekend. So we will be back here on the Baseball American College podcast next week, and we will be talking about all of that and much more. Who knows what what Joe will come up with, what what Son will will drop that that Joe can review for us uh, next week. And in the meantime. <laughs> Uh, make sure that you're subscribed to the Baseball America College podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Uh, if you can, rate us, review us. Uh, hopefully that's five stars. Maybe it's four. Maybe you don't like Joe's review of uh, that next great college baseball song. But we'll, we'll be eager to, to hear what you guys think. Uh, if, if you can uh, take the time to, to drop us a, a review on your favorite podcasting app. But also encourage you to check out all of the content at BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, as we get deeper into the season, of course, the field of 64 projections become a little more real and, uh, you know, a little less projection. And so, that, you know, that we'll, we'll have another one of those out on Wednesday and plenty more to come throughout the week. You can also follow us on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Dave is at Dave Serrano 11. And Joe is Joe underscore on underscore sports. So thank you all for listening. We will be back here next week with another edition of the Baseball America College Podcast.